0: It's tough when you're short. What can I say? Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you guys again. I'll see a lot of familiar faces of guys and ladies that I've met before, and I'm really honored um, to be back with you guys again. And uh, I have to tell you that over the past couple of years, Pastor Richie has gotten to be a very good friend. And I get to see him almost every week. Um, He and I are part of a small group of pastors that meet together, at a little church on the old west side, and uh, just get together and and kind of be guys together, share our hearts, pray over each other's lives, pray over the city, pray over you guys sometimes. Um, And uh, I love praying with guys because whatever's in them comes out eventually. I mean, we can all kind of do the, okay, proper prayer thing and all that. But, you know, over a couple years, you start seeing what's in people's hearts. So I actually like to get to know people at prayer meetings. You know, I pray with them week after week if you you're part of a, a group like that, or you can be part of a group, it's a great way to get to know people because you see what's inside of them. They can't help it. It comes out after a while. And people pray to their, their level of revelation. So sometimes you get in a prayer group, it's like this big contest to see who can pray the most spiritual prayer, right? I, I, I saw, I saw the, oh yeah, one of those going on. So yeah, all right. But uh, um, hopefully, you know, God's doing a really cool thing in the body of Christ right now or he's kind of like, like distilling us. He's kind of getting us down to, the, to what we're really supposed to be as believers. A lot of old religion is getting put away. And um, uh, some people look back to the 60s and they're like, oh, that was the golden age. I'm like, yeah, not if you were a black person. Okay. <laughs> okay. White folks, some, some older white folks have a different view of this than, than maybe some of the rest of us do. But I remember the 60s as being a lot of religion and stuff. And it seems like God's stripping away a lot of that. And I love it because we're getting back, I feel like, to what God intended the church to be. And that's a group of his saved people that get together. We come together. We share our resources. One of the things I I love, I don't know how you feel about this, but in your bulletin it has what last week's offering was. And I kind of like that because it's really, you know, the reason we come together and we give offering is we just pool our resources. We do it because we love the Lord. We do it for a number of reasons, hopefully good reasons. But I love the fact that the, the, the transparency is there that that uh, you saw what everybody put together last week. I think that's cool. All right? It can be used for other reasons, but since I know Richie, I know it's not being used that way. It's just transparency. This is what you guys did last week. Excellent. So praise God for that. Um, since Josh already prayed for me and I trust his prayer, And what he said was better than what I could pray. Um, We'll just jump right in, okay? You guys good? You got your seatbelts fastened? Oh, well, the seatbelt light's not on, so you don't have to fasten them. So we're okay. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about identity. How many of you know you're a son or a daughter of God? Most of you? If you've asked Jesus into your heart, if you repented from your sins, you invited him in, he came in, he put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and he adopted you. Most of you know that, okay? Grunt or nod or something. You guys, you can grunt. <laughs> okay, it's all right. It's okay to grunt in church. Just don't get too crazy about it. All right. We can be men, ladies. You can be ladies. I don't know what. Maybe ladies go mm, or whatever. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, most of us know this, but. Sometimes our identity kind of gets lost in all the other things that we do. And that's what I want to talk about today, is what our real identity is. This has kind of been on my heart for a while, and it kind of reflects something God's been doing in my own life. But when, uh, when Richie asked me to speak today, this is one of the, this is just like God said, yeah, I want you to talk about this. So during the course of the next few minutes, a few times I'm going to ask you, who are you? And you're going to say, I'm a son of God. Or, ladies, you can say, I'm a daughter of God. Ladies, don't say you're a son of God. Say you're. Da- I mean, if you really want to, we won't argue with you. But uh, it, it, I think you would be more comfortable saying, I'm a daughter of God. So who are you? Okay, one more time. Who are you? And You guys got this. You guys are better than the first. Certain- no, I'm just kidding. I- it took them a few times, okay? But uh, as we go through, I'm going to keep asking you to repeat this. It's sort of like the punchline of what I'm talking about right off the bat. You know, I would never make a good comedian, because it's like give you the punchline and then tell the story. Okay, which doesn't make for good jokes, but maybe it'll stick to you better. One want to oh, see if I can get everything working now. Yay! Excellent. By the way, I don't know who in the in the sound booth, I assume somebody up there, they do like the lyrics for the songs, right? Do you ever notice how good they are at it? Do you ever go to it? Yeah, amen. So whoever did that, good job. Okay, they stuck with it. They did make one or two mistakes. That's okay. We forget. No, I'm just kidding. No, they're like right with it. Did you ever go in there, you're learning a new song, and the person in the booth, they're like doing three things, and they're like four stanzas behind, you know, and all that. But this is just like right there, and it makes the worship flow so well. So good job back there. Um, Who are we? It's one of the basic questions of life. Within every family, you've got, am I the oldest? Am I the youngest? Am I the matriarch of the family? Am I the patriarch of the family? Where do I fit in? That's one of the basic things that hits every one of us, no matter who you are. Even if you grew up in an adopted family or foster home, there's always that kind of figuring out, who you are thing, right? Everybody's right? Okay. Um, we have some biblical examples of where God established people's identities. So remember Abraham? Remember Abraham? His original name was Abram. They changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. I did this first service, and I forgot the answer was up there. So people, people were like, oh, the answer's on the screen. <laughs> okay. And then with Jacob, his original name meant Deceiver. How would you like that name? Talking about a bad prophetic name. Your name is Deceiver. And he got it when he was born. I was like, whoa, what's up with that? Okay, how would you like to walk into that lame you know, that lame name? But God changed it to Israel, which means struggles with God. And then it became the name of the whole people, right? And do you feel like the Jews have struggled with God? Good morning. How you doing? I'm Steve. Okay. Thanks for coming. How you doing? Huh? I forgot your name, though. Jose. Jose, right. Good to see you guys. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm trying to not make you embarrassed. I hope you feel comfortable, all right? Okay. I'm really proud, though, you came up and sat up front. You know, a lot of times people that you see like, look in the back door, they know they're a little behind, but it's okay. No, it's cool. We're family here. So, um, but the, the Hebrews were also called Israel, struggles with God. Uh, again, I'm not sure it's a name I want to have, but it, meant, it means wrestles with God. Okay, remember, Jacob wrestled with the angel all night. I don't know about you, but if I wrestle with another guy for like two minutes, of course, I'm 64, but if I wrestle with another guy for two minutes, I'm like exhausted. I mean, I've, at, I've even been out with the cops. I'm a metro chaplain, and I've been with them a couple times and they've gotten into it. With some people, you know, and it's not like on TV where people fight for like 10 minutes. That's baloney. You know, after about two minutes, like everybody's just, they're done. Okay, not always, but generally it's that way. But can you imagine wrestling all night? He was not going to let that angel go. And that's wrestling with an angel. Okay, I know a couple really big cops. I can't imagine wrestling with those guys more than a minute or two. And Jacob, who sometimes we kind of think of him a little bit like a mama's boy because he stayed in the tent. He wrestled with the angel all night to the point where the angel put his hip out of joint and said, yep, now you have something to remember me by. So then there was Gideon, okay? God comes to him in the wine press. He's hiding in there. He's, uh, he's threshing wheat in the wine press because he's hiding. And the angel comes to him and says, behold, mighty man of God. And, you know, Jacob's looking around to see if there was somebody else in there. Okay? God was speaking it into his life before it came to be. And then we got David, a man after God's heart. And so when David is a young boy, probably a mid-teenager, the prophet comes to his house, right? The prophet Samuel, remember God had rejected Saul, the king of Israel. The prophet comes to David's house, the house of Jesse, says, I need to see your sons. Jesse goes and gets everybody but David. David's out in the field with the sheep. And um, uh, Eliab, the big tall one, uh, is there before Samuel. And Samuel says, surely this must be God's anointed. And he went through everyone. All of you know the story, right? Went through all the other sons. And he says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? He says, I just have. And in the Hebrew, the word is katan, okay, which means I just have the worthless one left. Oh. How would you like to have that from your dad? Okay? So David was rejected even by his father. It's usually translated for some reason, the youngest. But it really means the one without value, okay, or the insignificant one. What a name that is. And that wasn't his name, but that's what his dad said about him. All I have is just the worthless one that's out in the field. Do you ever think about this? Do you ever think about all the rejection that David went through? Now, Samuel went ahead, he anointed him, he called him king of Israel, and then bugged out, of course. And then David went through a whole series of rejections after that. First of all, he went and worked for the king, Saul. But before long, Saul got all freaked out about him, and Saul was trying to kill him. Remember, threw a spear at him, chased him all over the place, so he was rejected by his king. Okay, he ended up out in the field. Uh, he ended up in the, well, the most famous place is the cave of Abdullam, where he had all the other rejects where were there living with him in the cave. That would have been an interesting experience. So he's rejected by his people. Remember, he went to the battle uh, to where Goliath was and his brothers. You know, he's bringing him cheese and food and bread and stuff. And what does his brother say? Man, it's good to have you. No. He says, oh, you're just here to watch the battle. So he's even rejected by his brothers. He goes on. He becomes fairly famous. Eventually, he becomes king of Israel, uh, king over Judah but Israel rejects him. The north half of the, of the uh, kingdom rejects him. And then when he finally is king, all right, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, remember? And he strips down to his boxer shorts. They called it a linen ethan, but it was, it was just that on him. And as he's dancing into town, dancing with all his might, making sacrifices and all this, what does his wife say? Oh, you've been very distinguished today being sarcastic to him. So he was rejected even by his wife. So David dealt with all this rejection. Even though God said, you're the king, I've anointed you king. They poured the oil all over him, the whole nine yards. All the way through his life, he's being rejected by these people. The enemy's trying to steal his identity. All through his life, first his dad, then the king. Some people say even Jonathan, at the end of Jonathan's life, Rejected him. There's a really interesting psalm where David's writing and it says, Even that man who is closest to me has rejected me. And yet David pushed through all that rejection to step in eventually to the identity of king, not over Judah, but over Israel, over all of Israel as well. And we know him as probably the greatest king ever of Israel, right? He conquered, you know, uh, giants and all kinds of things. But all along the way, The enemy was trying to to discourage him, to steal his identity, to have him be rejected, even by the people closest to him. So if you deal with rejection, consider David. What's God spoken over you? Are there prophecies over your life? Is there things that people have prayed over you you that you found it hard to walk into? Do you notice that God often says to us who we are before we even realize it? Or before we're walking in it. As near as I can figure, it was about 17 years between the time Samuel anointed David and the time he actually became the king. 17 years. And it wasn't just like 17 years tending the flock. It was 17 years of warfare. It was 17 years. He even worked for the Philistines at one time. Remember that? It was a crazy time. And then one time he he feigned being insane just to get away. They're like, that guy's nuts, man. Okay? Okay? Okay. He, you know the lights are on, but nobody's home. Whatever, and so that's how David got of that. He was rejected by uh, Nabal, the uh, remember Abigail's husband. They'd taken they, his men had kind of watched over their sheep, and they got on hard times. And they went to Nabal, and he says, "Who are you, David? Who are you, son of Jesse?" Okay, even that guy rejected him. So David dealt with some stuff. It was all challenges to David's identity. Okay, y'all with me? Okay? All right. There's a few nodding heads, so no, most of you are doing okay. Okay. Let's, let's bring it in a little bit. How about Jesus' identity? As soon as Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3, he went, out, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, and I'll try to do my best God, God voice. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's as good as I can do it. Read, how many of you guys have seen the Ten Commandments? Okay. And remember, you know, that God speaks to them, you know. I am God, you shall have no other. That was actually the voice of Cecil B. DeMille, the director of the movie. Did you know that? No? A little movie of trivia there. Okay. It really sounded really good in the movie. Okay, I wish I could do that. Um, anyway, Jesus is there, and it says that heaven was opened. This means the heaven was rent. It was ripped open. What happened? See, something different happened with Jesus that had never happened before. When Jesus came and he was uh, baptized on the earth, when he followed the Lord in the, uh, we call it the institution of baptism, but when he was baptized, everything changed. Before that, Holy Spirit would come and dwell with men and dwell on men. But at this moment an incredible thing happens. Heaven is rent open, ripped open, I don't know what it looked like. And the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of Jesus. And from there on out that's what the Holy Spirit does. See, prior to that, the Holy Spirit would move on people, but after this the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them. It was a change in the history of the kingdom right there. That's why heaven was rent open. Does that make sense? Everybody see the difference between before? And the cool thing is now when we ask Jesus into our heart, we don't have to rip open heaven. It's already been done. Jesus was there. He was the first one. He was the forerunner for us. And then there's this voice from heaven, okay? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I don't know if you have ever had God say that over you audibly where everybody could hear But that would be pretty impressive. Okay, it would be a bit of an affirmation. You know, I'd be like, hey, audible voice, audible voice. You know, did you guys hear that? Did you hear what God said? Okay, he's he's pleased. I'm his son. Okay. Don't you think that would be impressive? Has anybody ever had that happen to you? Heaven was rent an audible voice? Dove? No, okay. I'm just making sure we got the right group here. Okay, if you guys are, maybe you guys are way beyond me on this. You know, you have these things happen all the time. And, okay, what happens right after that? Jesus goes out into the wilderness. Satan tempts him three times. Notice it said he went out and he fasted for 40 days and after he was hungry. I'm like, Man, he wasn't hungry till after 40 days? And then the enemy comes to tempt him. And what does he say? If you're the son of God. Now, remember, he gave him 40 days in there to think about this, right? What is he doing? He's directly challenging what the Father said. Garden of Eden, same thing. Enemy comes to uh, Eve and uh, says, you know, tell me about the trees. And she says, well, there's this one tree. uh, We can't uh, eat it. We can't even touch it. And so they have a little discussion. And Satan says, if you eat that, you won't die. If you eat that, you won't die. What's he doing? Directly challenging what God had said. When Jesus, I mean, can you imagine? Audible voice. Okay, could it be any clearer? And Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, then do this. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He's challenging what the word said. Notice Jesus didn't fall for any of that stuff. He knew who he was. He didn't need Satan trying to pick away at, but Satan picks away at us. He says, if you're the daughter of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do this. So who are you guys? Who are you guys? Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. I've got to make sure we've got the right group here, okay? So Jesus spent the rest of his ministry explaining to his disciples who he really was, who this whole son of God thing, what that made him to be. Jesus said in... Uh, uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is an incredibly arrogant thing to say. Okay, you know how you hear people say there's many ways to God? Nope, one way. Okay, it's one of those things you just can't budge on with Jesus because nobody else came and died for you. Nobody else shed his blood on the cross for you. Nobody else also went to hell preached the gospel, grabbed the saints out of Hades, the waiting place, took them back to heaven and rose from the dead and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Nobody else did it. That's why only Jesus is the way to the Father. Of that, there can be no question. But he spent his whole rest of his ministry explaining to his disciples, yes, I'm the Son of God, and here's what that looks like. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Teacher and Lord, I am the true vine. Okay, all of that grew out of Jesus' identity as a son of God, a son of his father. All of that came from that. All these things, the bread of life. That's why he was born in Bethlehem. The name means house of bread. Weird, huh? Okay. Okay. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. Remember he said, uh, he gave a lot of shepherd analogies. In those days they would build rock walls and the shepherd would sit. They'd leave an opening about yea big and the shepherd would literally sit down in that, wedge his body in there and he became the gate that kept the sheep in the, in the sheepfold. All of these things are who Jesus was. So, Jesus said, don't you believe? that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. This is on the night that he was betrayed. These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. Okay, so he's saying, I'm a son, but I'm living with what the Father is doing through me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And then he goes on to say, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me, and I'm in you. So the disciples are making a transition here. Before this, they've been the guys that were sent out, right? He goes, hey, don't take your staff, don't take a purse, go out, and, you know, when you get there, let your peace stay on the house that you get to, and if they don't do anything, that's where you kick the dust off your feet. Remember that whole thing? All right? Always before, he's been sending them out as his disciples. But on this night, he's making that transition where all of a sudden he's saying, Okay, God's in me, you know that, I'm in him, but now I'm saying I'm in you and you're in me. And all of us are in the Father. He's made that, that moved intimacy where they're becoming now the sons of the Father. So who are you guys? Who are you guys? Okay. Guys, I'm hearing a lot more daughters than men. So guys, you've got to turn it up a notch, okay, next time. Okay, what's your primary identity? Romans says, this is a long scripture, but hang with me. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry Abba, which means what? It's more intimate. Daddy. Daddy. It means daddy. Okay, my daughter still calls me daddy. She's 34, okay, which is sweet. But primarily when we're little kids, we call our dads daddy, okay? I don't call my dad that anymore. I call him dad. But it's, that, that's a real, uh, it's a real innocent, it's a real sweet way of referring to our dads. That's the word that Paul used here. By him we cry out Abba. We cry out Daddy, Father. One of the pastors we pray with on Tuesday morning, he always says Daddy whenever he prays, whenever he prays. You know, he doesn't say, Holy Father. No, he doesn't do that. He goes, Daddy, we need your help today. I love it. Because that's what this word Abba means. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Remember, the Spirit came in the form of a dove on Jesus, audible voice. But now the Spirit himself testifies, speaks to us, and says, that we're his children. People talk about proof of God, you know, and it's hard for me to say, I got the proof. I got the proof right here. I know because God speaks to me and tells me I'm his son, okay? It's hard to tell that to a person who doesn't believe, but I know it. I know that voice. I know that feeling. I know how God speaks to me and says I'm his son. Who are you? Who are you? There we go. Now we're getting it, okay. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So, is Jesus rich? Okay. And we're co-heirs with him? That means we share what he has. Okay. Does that mean like he he, he deals it out with a thimble? No, he pours it out. And not just in the afterlife, in this life also. Earlier, at first service, I said, is Jesus rich? And the little boy over here goes, nope. (laughs) No, no, he's rich. That was when he was on earth. No, he wasn't rich then. But now he's in heaven, really rich, okay? And you're co-heirs. Ladies, you are co-heirs also, okay? The guys don't get this. They don't get like 65 and you get 35. No, we're co-heirs in Christ. Co-heirs. Everything that he got, we get. My brother and I. There's only two of us on my side of the family. When my folks pass away, he and I will share equally in what hap- in what's left over, if there is anything left over. Okay. We're co-heirs. You guys are all co-heirs of Christ. So who are you? Okay. Just making sure. How about Ephesians? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Before the foundations of the earth. Now I'm a geologist. I love this verse. This means before God even spun the earth up, before he put the water on it, before he made the rocks, what they were and all that stuff, before any of those things happened, he predestined you for adoption to sonship. I love that verse. That means I am not an accident. Okay, when the day I accepted Jesus, God didn't say, ah, okay, I'll let you in. No, he was waiting for that day when I received Jesus because he had already predestined me for it. He already knew how I was going to decide, that I was going to decide to accept him as my Savior and begin to walk. I believe he was excited. I think that's why the angels rejoice in heaven every time somebody accepts Jesus. They're waiting. They're waiting. It's like, man, I know this guy. This is about it. This is it. He did it. Yes. Okay, and they all celebrate. I don't know how that works in time, but that's not my concern. We'll figure that out when we get to heaven. (laughs) right? I love this next verse. It's very simple. 2 Corinthians 6.18 And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm hearing a little more of the guys. Maybe it's just that I was standing over there. It's very simple. It's very clear. One more verse. Galatians 4. 4 through 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent into his, sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, our daddy, father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, I just showed you four different verses, right? All about sonship. Are you getting the message? Okay, you are sons and daughters. So you're like, Steve, I know, I get it, all right? I heard this a million times before. Okay, now we're getting to the good part. Not that that wasn't good, but if I can get to, i got to figure out a better way to do this. A couple more. There, here, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Slave or free, but Christ in is all and in all. What's he talking about? No racial separation. Okay? No covenant separation. That's what the circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarians, they were guys that lived off to the northeast at this time. They were always raiding and pillaging uh, to the northeast part of, of the Roman Empire. And everybody kind of lived in fear of them. But if they got saved, they were still in the family. Scythians were from Scythia. Okay, slave or free, in that society, slaves were well accepted and, and they weren't of a particular race. It was just whoever was captured was a slave and had, had institutionalized slavery in the Roman Empire. And a lot of people that got saved in the first century were slaves. Okay, they needed redemption. They understood the value of what God was offering. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no racial separation. There is no gender separation. There is no uh, religious separation. We are all one in Christ. Now, when, Jesus, uh, when uh, Paul spoke this in the first century, this was absolutely radical, okay? Especially the whole male-female thing, because women had like zero rights in the first century. Matter of fact, uh, Chris Vollen teaches a really good teaching that like one third of the Jewish laws that the Pharisees had come up with were against women. Not sure why. All I know is a lot of them had to do with women and what the restrictions are were on women. That's why they could just give them a certificate of divorce. Many of you guys had two or three wives. Okay, say he saw another young thing, he decided this gal's getting a little old. He would just divorce her with a, with a written piece of paper. And, and grab this one up. That's why they ask him, "Can a man just di- divorce his wife with with a writ or a certificate of divorce?" In other words, can he just put her off that quick? Okay. And Jesus had a good answer about that. Okay. When you do that, you're forcing her to be an adulteress. Why? Because she didn't have any other means of support. In those days, if you got bumped out of your family as a woman, you couldn't just go get a job and carry on. It, it really screwed you up. So for Paul to say that male and female are equal, this is radical, revolutionary stuff. When the men and women in the first church ate together and they shared everything together, they were accused of being immoral because men had dinner with women. It was that close of a fellowship. We're still battling this today, but I'll tell you, in this time, in this generation we're in, God's doing an amazing work with men and women. Okay, well, we're going to begin to step into what God designed us for. Ladies, do you know that you're co-heirs? Okay, that means co-heirs with the guys. That means there is no male or female. We're all sons and daughters of God. So who are you? Okay, you guys are getting the routine down now. Okay, so what's your primary identity? What is your identity? Now, why am I asking this? Because as we go through life, other things begin to kind of try to supersede what your real identity is. Um, I work a lot with the cops. I mentioned that earlier. And one of the challenges we have is when these guys retire, they have so built their lives around being a cop. You know, they have to, almost all of them have worked shifts. So that means if you become a young officer, you go through the, or an old officer, you go through the academy, um, your family 's going to have to put up with shift work for years, and you know you 're going to have to work weekends and it, it, it rotates around and you 're able to move some but sooner or later you 're going to have to deal with all that stuff they have made sacrifices for the profession they have chosen, and they have there 's a lot of just in the ways they think with the people they 've met all that it really changes them as people okay and I have a son well oh, I have a son we have a son by the way, stand up for a minute. <laughs> she hates this one. I forgot, I forgot to introduce my wife. This is my wife of 41 years. I'm always so anxious to get into the Word. I'm really rude to my wonderful wife. This is Janine. She married me 41-plus years ago. She's been a great wife, a great mother, a great friend, great lover, the whole nine yards. Um, and I'm really glad that she could be with me today. So apologies I didn't introduce you at the beginning. Okay, okay. Um, Anyway, please say hi to her when we're done, so she feels valuable because she is valuable. She's an amazing woman. I just told her this morning. I had no idea you'd be this beautiful when we were this age. So just, I meant it. I wasn't just. I mean, I knew it'd be good, something good to say, but I meant it. Okay. So, what's your primary identity? Uh, oh, I started to say with the cops. Part of the problem is when they retire, they have so made their identity about being a cop, it's like there's this huge vacuum on the back end of it, okay? They've been so wired, they've been carrying a gun. Almost all cops off-duty carry guns, uh, concealed carry, because they may run into somebody that knows who they are, right? Right? I mean, you all don't think about that, right? Okay, what if they're out, you know, getting groceries, and some guy comes up behind them and, you put me in prison three years ago. And those folks are out there. So they just learn to live with all that. But it becomes so much a part of their identity, it's really hard when they step out of the job. That's why so many retired police officers commit suicide. They can't make the transition. It has become their identity. That's why for officers to be saved makes a huge difference because then they can step back into being, okay, I'm not a cop anymore, but I'm still saved. I'm still a son of God. It gives them a place to go. But for guys and ladies that don't have that, it's a terrible transition because their identity has been so wrapped up in being a cop. So what's your identity? Many people I see, they, uh, their racial identity is very important to them. Now, I'm not saying it can't be important, but is it more important than your identity as a son or a daughter? Um, it, over at ICLV, I have a good friend. He grew up in the gangs of L.A., a uh, Hispanic guy. Okay, and i kind of been, really I've just been a friend to him, but I've kind of been mentoring him. And he gave his heart when he moved up here. He kind of had to leave L.A. so he wouldn't get killed, one of those kind of things. And he's, he's done some bad stuff in the past. Uh, some of us in here have done stuff, bad stuff in the past. But we kind of hit this point where he w- we got into a, an interesting racial discussion, and his name is Angel. And I said, Angel, are you a son of God first or are you a Hispanic first? Mmm, yeah. You had to think about that. Okay? And this applies for all of us. You're hearing a lot about white nationalism right now, which makes me crazy. Okay? I've been studying the history of white folks. I'm reading this book called The History of White People. It's written by a black lady. It's excellent. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Okay? And it, it goes all the way back to Greece. Okay? Because she's trying to figure out what I've been trying to figure out. Like, how do we get here with, with all this crazy stuff? But she goes all the way back to Greece, and she traces the history of white folks all through Europe. And I don't know if you know, but what we consider white folks are about the most racially mixed group of people on the earth. If you really study the history, you know this group came over, and this group invaded, then they did this, and then they did this. And then, this, uh, sorry, I shouldn't get off. I'll just say this one thing. People talk about the pure white race. I'm like, what is that? That's so weird. We are all so mixed now, everybody. Not just white folks, but Hispanic folks, black folks. We're all mixed up, guys. And the thing is, it's, it's funny to me that we even see each other that way. Part of it is the culture that we live in. It's kind of what we've been handed. Okay, I understand that. But we've got to understand that in Christ, when I put on Jesus as my Savior, when I invite him into my life, when the Holy Spirit lives into me, that trumps any other identity that I have. I'll say that again. That identity trumps any other identity I have. Okay? I love being American. I love this nation. But my citizenship in the United States is not my primary identity. Being a son or daughter of my heavenly father is. It trumps my U.S. citizenship. Does this make sense? Okay? Do you see how powerful this is? See, it allows me to step over racial lines. It allows me to step over religious lines. It allows me to step over Political lines. It allows me to step over um, uh, lines about this is my job, this is your job, we can't cross into that. All of these things. Um, A few years ago, I was working on the Southern Nevada Human Trafficking Task Force. Okay, learned way more there than I ever want to know. But there were people that were so devoted to that, to that cause, it had become their identity. You see where it gets out of balance. On the same task force, we had people who were believers. And allowed them to keep their life in bounds because their identity was in Christ. So who are you guys? Okay, good. Just want to make sure. We're still, still talking to the right group. Okay? So sometimes for people, their cause can become their identity. Have you ever met people like that? Okay? So some people in the political arena, even though they're believers, they get so wrapped up in the politics of what the party's saying that they kind of lose their identity. Okay, sometimes guys get really uh, wrapped up in their identity on the jobs. Or ladies too, it's not just guys. But I deal mostly with guys. Okay, let me get caught up here. I think I talked about all those. Are there things that have overwhelmed your identity in Christ? Have things in your life, your job, your politics, it can be your racial identity, whatever it is, have they begun to supersede your identity in Christ? How about your church identity? How about your, your, what you consider yourself in the church? Do you ever meet somebody and they're like, hey, I'm prophet so-and-so? You ever met that guy? No? Well, I have. Anybody here met that guy? Okay. Or I'm elder so-and-so or bishop so-and-so. What are they telling you? First of all, I'm important because I have a title. Second of all, okay, it's really important for you to know that I consider my identity to be a prophet. Okay, it's really a big trap. Okay, in the body of Christ. Uh, Pastors will do this. Okay, they make sure that they know, you know that they're a pastor. Okay, when I introduce myself, I almost never use my title. I'm just, hey, I'm Steve. Okay, why? Because that's what Jesus calls me. That's enough. Okay, yeah, I'm called to, to teach and to preach. Yeah, I'm called to do this and that. But that's my calling. That's not my identity. Okay, I always tease the intercessors. Sometimes intercessors, that gets to be their identity. Well, I'm an intercessor in this church, you know. And, yeah, you, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm an intercessor, okay. and <laughs> We laugh a little bit, but some folks take it It is almost like it's become an office for them, okay. Now, I consider myself an intercessor, but it is not my identity. This making sense, guys. All right. How about uh, maybe you're an administrator? We see this with pastors. Our worship leader bugged out, I think. But she did, didn't she do a great job this morning? Whew, that's good. Let's give her a hand in absentia. Okay. I really like that one song. Hallelujah, you have saved me. Man, I love that song. It's so good. Hmm. How about as a children's leader? People get in their niches. I even, you know, one of the things, I, I was on staff at ICLV for a while, and people would come in and introduce themselves as, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I've done children's ministry for 23 years. And Okay, it's kind of like introducing yourself as prophet so-and-so. But, okay. And it's great to have a children's ministry. It's great to be good at the, all of these things and being prophetic. All of those things are important. But my identity is as a son or a daughter. And who are you guys? Okay. I think I got the right group. Okay, one more here. Remember that Jesus described himself as many things. Remember that? Light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, all of that. But nothing superseded the fact that he was his father's son. That's what drove everything in his life. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Isn't that a good word? Man, I love that. And to me, you know, sometimes people say, well, it's taken Jesus a long time to come back. Why is that? Because he's gathering more into the family. And I don't want to overreach with this verse, but it seems like he's going to touch every family before this is all done. You know, Jesus even said, they ask him, what's the sign of your coming, and how will we know? And Jesus said, first of all, there's going to be wars and rumors and wars in Matthew 24. Okay? And we've all heard the wars and rumors and wars. Oh, it must be Jesus. And Jesus said, no, when you see those things, the end is not yet. But when you see the gospel preached to every person, then you'll know. It's real easy. We don't have to make it too complicated. Has every person on the earth heard? No. Okay, so that's what we're watching for and what we're reaching towards and what we're striving for and why we evangelize. First of all, out of love, but also because we realize that when every person gets evangelized, then the end will come. Okay, there's all these doomsday things, all these post-apocalyptic movies. You can almost guarantee that's not going to happen because everybody thinks it's going to happen, except for the believers. Okay, it's just, I know it's kind of weird logic. So, here we go. To finish this up, what identity of yours has encroached on your sonship or your daughtership? What identity in your life has become too important to where it's become primary now over Christ and your sonship or your daughtership being primary? What's the main motivation in your life? Is it because I'm a son or a daughter? This is not about religious stuff. This is not about keeping rules. I think I asked this first service boss again. How many of you were raised Catholic here? Okay, about an equal group to first service. And when you're raised Catholic, or I'll I'll pick on them, but when you're raised any denomination, a lot of times that can become your identity. And it becomes more important than being a son or daughter. See, my identity is in Christ. It's not in any religion. Has my religion begin to encroach, okay, on my identity as Christ? I see this uh, because I deal with church leaders a lot. I see this sometimes their religious doctrine or belief or system, they're almost like guarding their denomination when you talk to them. It's like, don't need to do that. Let's just talk about scripture because I'm a son and you're a son. I'm a son you're a daughter. That's my identity. I don't have to be defensive about all this other stuff. Unless I'm out of balance. Does this make sense? What does your sonship or daughtership require of you? What does it require? Okay, if I say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put on, okay, my sonship as my primary identity. Now, how do I live? Well, I read the New Testament, and it gives me lots of good stuff on how to live. Well beyond the scope of this. See, as I put on my true identity, that allows me to walk in that stuff. Okay? Um, uh, Joshua talked a little bit earlier about why we give. We give because we love Jesus. Okay? And I love the thing he said about the whole 10%. Man, what if you only say it was a rule that you had to tithe 10%? Like a hard and fast, go to hell, go to to heaven rule. And you only tithe 9.99% through your life. You know, missed it by like two bucks. How bad would that be? All right. So it's like, you know, Peter or the angel or whoever is like, oh, man, did you know you were just $2 short? Sorry. And they, like, pull the the thing and, boom, down you go. There we go. Exactly right. (laughs) Sound effects. I love it. That's excellent. Wouldn't that be terrible? Oh, but who are you guys? Sons of God. Okay. All right. So obviously that's what gets us into heaven. All right. Yes, we tithe. Hopefully, you do more than tithe. But we do it because we love God. See, it puts things in perspective for us. It puts things in perspective for us. Because as a son, I know, first of all, I'm secure in the Father. I know he loves me. He loves me so much that Jesus came and died for me. He literally laid down his life. It was a matter of life and death for God that I be his son. Man, that's, that's important right there. That's how much he loves me. See, if I get that in my head, if I make this about my relationship with my heavenly father, first and foremost, then everything else begins to get important. Um, When I was first filled with the Holy Spirit, which was in April of 77, um, I got saved in a Baptist church, and it was wonderful. They taught me the word and all that, but they didn't really believe in uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I kept reading the word, you know, and I kept saying, God, you know, it seems like there's more to it than than what I've, I've gotten. So I just kept praying, kept praying, and fasting and praying. And at 2.30 in the morning in April this one night, uh, I got blasted by the Holy Spirit. I was downstairs praying with another person, and God just kind of went, foomp, and did it to me. And I got like five years of teaching in an instant. And yeah, like answered all my questions. It was amazing. I was just, it was totally unexpected. And um, But one of the things that showed me is that Jesus... I saw, had, I hate to say I had a vision, but it was more he gave me a clear picture. Okay, if I'm going to say I had a vision, it's like I couldn't see anything else. But this, I had a clear picture in my mind. It was Jesus above all things and before all things, and he was standing on a platform of his love. And everything else descended in importance from that. Tongues, interpretation, gifts of the Spirit, everything else descended in importance from that. Why? Because I understood that he was the Son of God, that I am a Son of God, that God loved me with an amazing, eternal, undescribable love. And when we get that focus, we get that perspective, everything else falls into place. Is this making sense? And who are you guys? Okay, okay, all right. When we realize our son or daughtership, we have rights. We have the right to eternal life. We have right to be part of this family. All right, I got adopted in, you got adopted in, you got adopted in. Okay, we have rights as a family. I had always, to be honest with you, I always felt like an outsider, even when I was on staff at ICLB. I always felt like an outsider. But I have recently realized I have a right to be part of the family. Anybody else ever feel like an outsider here besides me? Yeah, there's a few of you out there. But you know something? I have a right to be part of the family. Okay. I have riches because I'm a son of God. You guys all know about that. I have responsibilities as a son of God, the most important of which is to love the people around me. Biggest responsibility. rest of it, read the New Testament. It tells you about all that. What do you guys think? Who are you? Okay, why don't you stand up? I'd like to pray for you. And we're going to end the service this way. I'd like to put your hands out like this. And um, everybody know what a medicine ball is? It's like a heavy leather ball. And in the gym, you throw it back and forth and it builds up your muscles. I don't want you to think about catching a beach ball because this is heavy. Okay, this is going to be like a medicine ball. And I just want to pray this over you. Not just pray it over you, but I'm going to pray this over you. Okay, Heavenly Father, First of all, Lord, I thank you so much that we're your sons and daughters. It's such an amazing thing to think that the living God would love us so much that he would send his son Jesus to die for us, to go to hell, take the keys away from the enemy, grab the folks in in Abraham's bosom, go back to heaven, rise from the dead, and then sit down at the right hand of the Father. And then you invite us to all do the same thing. So Father we put on today the identity as sons and daughters of the living God. And, Lord, we accept our rights, we accept our riches, and we accept our responsibilities as your children today. And, Lord, we love it that we belong to you and that this is our primary identity, not our citizenship, not our race, not our politics, not any of those other things. But, Lord, our identity is in you. And, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters today with this revelation. I pray as they go out today, they'll go out more than ever and with the revelation of their sonship or their daughtership, their adoption in you, and be able to walk in the fullness of all that you have for them in the name of Jesus and to agree, say, "Amen." amen. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.